All right, folks, we're in uh, Genesis again today, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. And I'm really excited about this uh, little passage and how potentially it can be a real blessing to everyone here today. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1 and see what uh, the Lord has in store for us. I don't know about you, but at every point in the creation narrative, there is time for our imagination to just go nuts, um, thinking about the detail that's been given there. And then, of course, there's also things that aren't said, and in the blanks, in the spaces of the Genesis story, chapter one primarily, there are those opportunities for us to have a field day forming our own images of what's going on. I personally believe that's why God gave us a book as the Bible and not some kind of like high definition, you know, surround sound type natural phenomenon. But he gave us the Bible so that we'd have our own intimate, personal images of what's going on in the Bible. And Genesis 1 is one of those times where you just go crazy thinking about how this actually looked and what it must have been like to be in there as God spoke or as C.S. Lewis said, sang the world into existence. Listen to this. At the start of day one, the earth is a lump of clay, formless and covered with sea, floating in space. I'm going to read that again. At the end of day one, lump of clay, formless, covered with sea, floating in space. Can you try to imagine um, that? Then at the end of day three, the earth now is illuminated by the sun, and because of that, the earth is warmed. Uh, The earth is clothed in blue sky, and there are clouds hanging over sparkling seas and vegetated land. That's at the end of day three. And then, of course, at the end of day six, God is happy with the earth in orbit around the sun, and there's a 24-hour rotation of our planet, which is now swarming with wildlife, and is under the joyous care and oversight of the first human couple, Adam and Eve. So with that image in mind, um, your own personal image, we drift to day seven, and that's the focus of today. We're gonna draw out the truth of day seven, in the creation narrative. And then at the end, I'm gonna make some application of why it is important to know a little bit about day seven in Genesis one. So let me read the text here from Genesis chapter two. And the main focus of what I wanna share with you is the first three verses. So let me just read those first three verses for you. Thus the heaven and the earth, thus, pointing our attention back to chapter one. Can't start chapter two without going back to chapter one. The word thus forces us to look at what happened before. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because on it, God rested and all the work that he had done from all the work that he had done in the creation, which we've just read about in chapter one. So let's look at day seven. On day seven, God finished. On day seven, God finished. If you're taking a little notes, um, I want to encourage you to write these little points down. Uh, They're on the screen for that reason. And we have little journals available in the foyer as well with our church logo on the front so you won't get mistaken with your own diary or something like that. Um, I want to encourage you at the start of the year, grab one of those journals, um, keep all your sermon notes in one place. I regret that. I have sermon notes from so many different places and wads of paper that are going to take me forever to try and file and work out. I've started, 
but I would love to have had just a couple of journals, you know, on the shelf with all my sermon notes in one place. So why don't you do that? Especially if we're handling series like this, you'll have all the sermons in one place. Miss a sermon, go online, download it, and fill in the notes there in your journal. Keep it in one place. But let's make a few points here and then draw some application. Day seven, God finished. Sometimes in the Bible, authors will use a thing called an inclusio. It is a form of writing where you will, like we use brackets, authors will say something and then wrap around a little bit later to make a bracket in the text. And I want to show you one of those in the first two chapters of the Bible. The first verse of the Bible reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the beginning is focus, chapter, verse 1, chapter 1. Then chapter 2 starts, verse 1, and there is a completion of the idea that began in the beginning of the Bible and now is wrapped around at the first verse of chapter 2, and this is how it reads. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Beginning, chapter 1, and finish, chapter 2, an inclusio. And the reason for using this kind of language and this grammar tool is to highlight something specific. And the highlight of what is being said here is the finished work of God. That God had been working and now it was complete. Verse 1 of chapter 2 begins with the word thus, like I stressed. And the thus forces us back to see what had been said. Before we must consider the verses of chapter 2 and what's going to be zoomed in on, we must consider back to what has been done in Genesis um, chapter 1. How does that chapter end? Well, verse 31 reads like this of chapter 1. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. And there was evening, a very important phrase, evening and morning, which has been repeated through each of the days, the sixth day. One evening and morning's first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and everything that had been made was good. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and God then would move on to day seven, which includes his rest. Verse two expresses the first of three actions that God completed. And I want to highlight these as I explain the passage to you. The first action is this action of God finishing. So make a note of that, God finishing. God was satisfied, meaning God was joyous. His work of completion was very good, or good, sorry, the very good's coming, but now with mankind created, first chapter, now zoomed in on chapter two, he looks back and says that everything is very good, therefore I make a conclusion that work, according to God, is very, very necessary. And this is some of our application of the point. I want to explain it and then drive it home to you a little bit later. But consider that, that our work is necessary. God, living outside of the realm of sin and its effect, would work and find satisfaction and joy in his work. Uh, I know that most of us have gone back to work by now and we've cranked into new positions of work. And this should be helpful to us theologically to understand that our work is founded upon the work of God. It is a good thing. Work itself is a very good thing, and we should take delight and joy, satisfaction in our work. We should be able to look back over it and say the same words that God said, that this is very good. There's, there should be no hints of slapdash in our attitudes to work, no wasting time, no laziness, no half measures, so that when we look back, we can say with absolute confidence, man, that is a very good thing, and as a result of that, I'm going to find satisfaction in it. I believe the theology of work and the theology of rest go hand in hand. They are married in Scripture. They are married in the person of God. 
that he would work and he would rest in one person and model for us, for us what it means to find satisfaction and joy in our work. Most of the time we say at the end of our job, you know, man, I'm finished um, mowing the lawn. Man, I'm so finished. And it's more an expression of the fact that I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm just grumpy about what's just taken place. Whereas the reaction should be, I am finished, as God would say it. Very different. He would say, I am finished, as in I find joy in what has been completed. I find that it to be satisfying, the work that has been done, and I am taking delight in it. That's the first point I want to make. The second point that I want to make is this. Day seven, God blessed. It's also the second action of God. God's first action in the text is that he would finish, and now secondly, he would bless. It's only the seventh day that is blessed. Notice that in the narrative. There's all those other days. There's no blessing given to day two or three or four. And there's no other day that receives this particular hallowed word connected to it, this holy. He made this day holy, and that's also unique of the seventh day. All previous blessing, there's a reason for that. So all previous blessing in the creation was given in a physical way. So there was fruitfulness that was given by God to the land, to man and woman, to the animals, to, to the earth, the world, so it would become fruitful, but in a physical sense. But now on day seven, there is a special spiritual fruitfulness that is added to the creation narrative. I find that extremely important, and part of the highlight of that inclusio, for us to notice what is going on here, different and distinct from the previous six days. This was a blessing from God to make this day spiritually fruitful, the day of rest, spiritually fruitful. The Sabbath now would become spiritually fruitful for human existence. So you know where I'm going with this. If I'm to say that boldly as a theology, that the day is set aside to be fruitful for our spiritual existence, then of course what we've been given here is a day that we are going to include in every single week of our existence that will enrich our lives, that will make our lives full, and that will stimulate our lives for the next week. I wonder if we are adhering to the advice of the creation narrative. We're going to apply it a little bit later. But for right now, let's be thinking, am I setting aside time? Of course, for me, it can't be the Sunday necessarily, but it can definitely be a Sabbath, and I have a Sabbath once a week. I wonder if you have set aside time for this reason, not because it's a religious kind of um, activity, but because God has said, this is a way in which you can emulate what I have demonstrated in myself to work hard and then to rest well, and for the two to be connected, satisfaction in the rest to be connected to satisfaction in the job. And at the beginning of the year, this is the perfect thing for us to consider. This is the first thing that God made holy in the Bible was a day. He made it holy, meaning theologically that he set it apart. That's what the word holy means. God is holy, he is set apart, transcendent from us. And we can be holy as well, set apart from sin and called out of sin. Here he sets the day apart to be hallowed. And it's the first thing that he sets apart for God. I find that interesting. Pretty important. Not something to be just shelved or put aside or maybe considered once in a while or acted upon once in a while. This day, the Sabbath day for you and for me, ought to be different. It ought to be very distinct. There should be a difference from Friday to your Sabbath if Friday is not your Sabbath. There should be a distinction between Sunday and other days. A New Testament picked up on the idea since the resurrection of Jesus has picked up on the idea of the Lord's day for Sunday 
and many, most Christians would take the Lord's day to rest upon that day, it is our the advice given to us in the scriptures today to make it distinct from other days in the week, radically distinct, and we'll look at some application in a minute. So the first point is the first action of God, God finished. Second, God blessed, second action of God. Now the third action of God in the passage, chapter two, verses one, two, and three, highlights a third action, and that is the rest of God. Day seven, God rested. Now the word that is used in the Hebrew is, for rest that is, is the word to cease um, to continue, to cease from. And in this context, um, the word is used for God ceasing from the actions of creation. God would cease to do that now to rest. And God really does not need to rest, if you think about it. I mean, this is God of infinite resource. Uh, the, the omnipotent God of the universe who does not need to take a break or replenish his energy like we do or refocus his attention. God doesn't need any kind of help or rest or sleep. He does not slumber according to the Bible. But he did take a break. And it's interesting that if, uh, if God took a break today, the universe would fall apart. God's sustaining power theologically is keeping everything in motion. It's keeping, I watched a, a, a DVD over the week just to remind myself of some of what is going on in our universe, and I was blown away by the, the activities of the planets and how, you know, just the, the distance from the sun and the, the speed at which we travel and the rotation of the earth and all of the scientific stuff, which really does boggle the mind a little bit. It's all absolutely necessary, and if something went out of kilter just a little bit, life on this planet would cease to exist just like that. God's sustaining power is part of his work, and it's ongoing, and praise God it is. It's consistent, thankfully, so that we can live. But here we find God um, taking a break from his, his work in creation. I mean, every sunrise is proof of the fact of God's ongoing sustaining power. But God found deep pleasure in the fruit of his labor, and that's what's going on here. There was this rest found, not in his ceasing to keep things going, but is in his moment to now take pleasure in the labor that he had accomplished. Satisfaction is the highlight of these verses. There's no morning and evening the seventh day. I tried to stress that in my reading. There's this repetitive language through all the six days, and then on day seven, there's no morning and evening the seventh day because, 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 God, by the way, is still resting. He is still part of what is going on on this first Sabbath of history. He is continuing to rest in the enjoyment and the satisfaction of that which he created. Mankind enjoyed this rest with God for just a moment in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve enjoyed this deep satisfaction in the creation of God, completed joy found in God himself just for a moment before the fall. But when the fall came, the original rest of the world was lost. Not forever, but it was lost, it was scarred. That blessed peace with God, that living in absolute innocence. Can you imagine? The bliss of not having any guilt or any shame that was scarred at the fall of mankind. But the promise of the Bible is that one day rest would be restored to man again. Praise the Lord. It is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that if we put our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, our sin can be paid for by Jesus, him taking the penalty of our sin and giving us the innocence 
of the pre-fall existence that Adam and Eve enjoyed and rest in God that we will one day enjoy forever in glory. This is the promise of the, of the gospel of Jesus. But the Sabbath day remains part of God's moral law. So we come to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and we read of the moral law of God which applies to all of history until God comes again or we pass away. And it is essential, the moral law is essential that we for our physical and for our spiritual health and growth that we might develop in this earth. Um, the Ten Commandments being the summary of the moral law. And this is what it says in verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner within your gates. For in six days, again it's explained, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, that's the reason, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy, uniquely, so that we might partake in the rest that it offers, I believe. That's what the law of God says in Exodus chapter 20. I remember reading something by an author, Lisa Tukurist, and she was explaining how important it is in a painting to have spaces that are not painted on. I'm not an artist, but I can imagine that what is the brush stroke and the picture is equally important to that which is not painted on. That part of the landscape that doesn't have anything in contrast to what is painted, is absolutely essential. That part that is not colored compared to that which is colored. It makes sense that there needs to be spaces between the two so that the, one, the thing that is, is painted and created is contrasted against that which is not. And this is absolutely necessary, apparently, in defining what fine art is. It's that ability to balance the two. The white spaces with what is used. And there's other examples of this, like emotional white space, how we are to have that which is in gear and that which is not. The noise white space and those kinds of things that can be studied, a contrast that is important to keep in balance as an illustration of this. So with that in mind, let's make some application. As we take a passage we understand a little bit about, three actions of God, and now bring it to bear upon our life. I want to give some helpful hints for 2020. The first one is to find a rhythm. So write that down, find a rhythm. There's this awesome rhythm in the text here, and it's not a rhythm that I identify in music, funny enough. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Jeff, uh, who's our chief musician here, um, and, and I was gonna phone him this week and ask him about this, but there's, there's all these like three fours and six eights and four fours and timing that repeats itself quite easily, but a, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, doesn't really work. A six does, but not a seven. And in my, in my mind, I find it an interesting rhythm that God would use here. A six to one ratio that really is jarring to us, but absolutely essential for our physical and our spiritual well-being going into this year. We need to find this kind of rhythm. To rest and to work. Work, then to rest. Both are complementary of each other, according to the passage of Scripture, according to God's design and His person. Funny enough, in my home, we've always had the slogan growing up, you know, if you work hard, you can play hard, and my parents were very faithful to, to act on that. If we had done any chores, we would have time to play hard. If we'd been through a, a rough term or two at school, 
we would have an opportunity to go away on holiday. And this is the kind of thing we need to be building into our life, building into our calendar, into our schedule. When the world is saying, no, I want seven days a week from you. I want, I want all of your time and I want you to be consistent in your work and, and leaves on the back burner. The world is drifting toward less and less time off, less and less rest because, of course, the world without Christ would be anti-God and his ideas, anti-God and his design. When the design is given, we're not going to make it if we don't include this kind of rest. Recreation, I believe, not just you know, that kind of like total mind-numbing couch time, but recreation, whatever that is for you. It might be a walk in the woods. It might be a book that you read on the porch. Uh, for my wife and I, it's totally different things. I like to stay active in my rest. She does not. And so we work that out. She's got a deck chair on the beach while I do something in the ocean. That's how it works. For you, you need to find that kind of thing that is called recreation for you, recreation, and make it a part of your regular rhythm into this year. It is only satisfying, I believe, to recreate when we have worked well. I've also noticed this over the break time. There are many that are frustrated when they come and they say, well, I've had this break and I feel like I've got to go back to the grind again. And in, the, in further you know, conversation, I discover very quickly that that grind is, is something that people endure without any measures of joy, without any measures of satisfaction. And so obviously, if that's the case, you're going to go and recreate or rest and there's going to be no sense of satisfaction as something completed or finished or done well. And that's opposite to what the Bible's teaching here. The Bible's saying that the ethic of work is something spiritual, and so we can engage in work as if it was worship, to give it to the Lord, done well, and then find great satisfaction in that as you ponder over what has been accomplished in the season prior to your rest. If your work is not creative, little sideline note here, if your day-to-day -day work is not creative, it's like that Charlie in the chocolate factory um, dad, Charlie's dad. He's sitting in the toothpaste factory and his job is to screw the toothpaste cap onto this, you know, the toothpaste tubes. Just one after another million, you know, and just keep on doing it. That's the kind of work you do, which is, in, which is needed. It can be done as worship to the Lord, but there's no measures of, or very little measures of creativity in your work. I want to encourage you to find something in your pastimes, in your, um, in your hobbies that are creative to keep it balanced. Something like woodworking, something like gardening, something like music, or sewing, where you're using your hands and your mind to create something so that at the end of the day, you can feel as if something has been accomplished. Uh, there's hardly ever a day that I have off where I don't create something. And I do that for my own, my, my own benefit, very selfishly. I know that if I come to rest at the end of the day without accomplishing something, whether it be in the garden with my wife or something in the workshop, um, I find it very difficult to rest. I feel like uneasy that there's nothing done. And I believe that's based on something theological that God is teaching us here. Our rest day needs to be a day of celebration of creation. If your work is something creative, praise the Lord. If it's not, include it in some other form of life so that at the end of your, your day of rest, you can be celebrating the creation that God has allowed you to partake in along with Him. He's allowed us to be creative just as He is creative. So find a rhythm. Number two, there's only three of these, rest to remember. Rest to remember. Write that down as well. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 says this, and listen to the careful themes of this verse. I'm not just randomly throwing scripture in here, but there are, there's a few connection points in this verse. 
you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded, Exodus 20, to keep the Sabbath day. I mean, this verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5 connects the given law morally of God in Exodus 20 with the creation narrative in the beginning, God's design, and brings about an application here of remembrance. That we are to, if we do this right, consider the design of God and act in obedience to the law of God keeping the Sabbath, part of what we do is going to be remembering God's redemption. And so my encouragement from that, drawing this or pulling this all together, is to apply it and say that the Sabbath that we have, that day off of rest, needs to include, must essentially include a remembrance of what God has done as well, not just what you've done. So it's, a, it's, it's the advice of the text to come to a, a, a Sunday, which is probably the best day to use, and say, Lord, look over these last six days, and I just see this is the work that I've done, this is the family time we've spent, and, and, I, and I celebrate all, of that, all that has been accomplished and created in these last six days, and I find joy and satisfaction in that, and I also find great satisfaction in the deliverance that I've received. The fact that creation and recreation in the Bible are so welded together, we can't escape it. To take our Sabbath and to consider what God has done. The first Sabbath of the, of the Bible would have been one to consider the creation of God, but surely the Sabbaths post-cross New Testament would be Sabbaths that would be used to consider the recreation of God. And how do we do this? How do we celebrate the, the new birth of God? Well, we consider God's Word, don't we? Don't we take time on our Sabbath just to read a little bit extra in terms of Scripture? Don't we take time just to hear from God a little bit more because it's a day of rest? To, to double our dose of Scripture perhaps and, and dwell there. Last week there were some, um, some uh, comments made after last week's sermon about where to start. And so I've been racking my brain. And so I want to give you one right now. Um, some people said, yeah, look, we were so blessed by your message last Sunday to read the scriptures and to get into some kind of regular pattern. Um, so I thought I'd just give you one app, one little tool. Um, if you go into your little app store on your phone, I'm sure most of you have heard about this. Let's by show of hands just see who uses version for some kind of Bible application. Okay, so I'd say about half of the folk that are here today. That's what it's called. It's called version. Our church office will help you get that loaded up on your phone if you need to. Just look for the app and download it. And it's very self-explanatory. There are many that can help you, the hands that were raised this morning, to navigate. But there are, there are neat little major categories on that little software. To read alone, uh, just only, read only. And then there's another one called plans. And I want to encourage you to, to explore into plans and find the reading plans that are there. You can read the Bible in one year. You can read the Bible in, in two years. You can read the Bible in four years. And you can divide it to what suits you the best and it will just pop up on your phone every day and help you stay diligent in terms of a diet of God's Word, regular reading of God's Word. But on the Sabbath, maybe take a little bit extra. Uh, pick up a book that will teach you something new. Study a, a, a book of Scripture together with a commentary. Be guided by the pastoral team of this church to dive into God's Word and to, um, and to remember the redemption of God through hearing God's Word. Take time on your Sabbath, secondly, to think about eternal things. It would do all of us good to just think outside of the temporary passing away of our world. 
Most of our stress, stress, as I've studied the topic, is connected to um, living in the, the moment of our panic without a, a long-term view. We have this, this blinker that comes in. It's a worldly blinker that kind of shuts us in with our problem. And most of the time we stress about something that never will happen in the future because we just are so pressed by the deadline. When the Bible calls us to have a long-term view, and our Sabbath is the time to do that, to just step out of our, you know, this is the thing that needs to be paid, and this is the job that needs to be done, and how am I going to cope? But to look just beyond that to eternity and realize, you know, I'm good. If everything burns to the ground right now, I'm good. I'm eternally good in my Lord. And to keep a perspective like that, I think, is very healthy for Christians to rest, to remember. Of course, another part of our, our, our day off needs to be prayer. Another part of our day off needs to be worship. For, for me, it might be to play a little bit of music in the workshop. It might be to play a, a music while I'm, I'm driving in the car. Uh, because I'm a musician, I might pick up a guitar every now and then and sing a few songs and keep that part of what I'm worshiping here. But your mind is engaged in worship. It doesn't have to be necessarily music. But as long as your mind has been stimulated toward who the Lord is and what he has done for us, that ultimately is a celebration of redemption. So here we go, two applications. A celebration of creation as we find a rhythm and a celebration of redemption as we rest to remember what God has done. Let's make that a, a New Year's resolution, all of us. To come to our Sabbath and take a moment in that day, maybe together with your spouse or your children, just to say, you know what? In light of everything that's going on in life, we're going to just rest today thinking about what God has accomplished on my behalf at the cross. He has died to pay the penalty of my sin. My relationship, which was once hostility and enmity with God, is now restored to be friendship and sonship. I'm adopted into a family, and uh, my debt is paid in full. And so eternally I will dwell with him, regardless of what happens in this world. Life is good, and we can be thankful about that. In contemplation about the gospel of Jesus. The third little application I have from Genesis um, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, is to remember to rest. Three applications. Find a rhythm, rest to remember, and remember to rest. We rest well when we trust Jesus, not ourselves. Let that sink in. We rest well when we trust Jesus and not ourselves. Is there somebody who'd like to say amen to that? Okay, it's so true. It is so true. We try everything under the sun. I mean, we try and get exercise and we try and get sleep and we try and write, read the right materials and balance life out well. But at the end of the day, the Bible teaches us clearly that we rest well when we trust Christ and not trust ourselves. The opposite is true when we trust ourselves. We die of anxiety. We, we, we can't get our head above water. We can't find a solution to some of life's trials and situations. The more trust, the more rest is the equation of the Bible. So I'm thinking here about the topic of faith. This is what is at the heart of being, what has been said here. And so I want to just stress what I've said already in, in the nutshell. I want to just stress in terms of Jesus' work. And I want to bring it to a beautiful connection, a beautiful connection that was a blessing to me personally. That when we remember Jesus' work done, we must remember it in light of the wording of this passage. See, chapter 2, verse 1 starts, and God contemplates the work that he has done, and he says, it is finished, so I will rest. Does that sound familiar? Because Jesus did exactly the same thing. When he finished the work on the cross, 
He said the same words as God did in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. He said, it is finished. I have finished the creating of salvation for mankind, which was not in existence before the work of the cross. I have now recreated a way for sinners to have relationship with God. The work is done. Tetelestai in the Greek, it is finished, is what Jesus said from the cross, his last words on the cross. He was finished creating possible, which was impossible before, possible eternal rest for you and me. If there was no work on the cross, finished by Jesus, then there would be no possible rest for us, now or forever. But it's been done. And Jesus said it was done. Completely. He said it was finished, and what he was saying there is he's finished his work that ensures the believer's recreation, not the human being's recreation. That happened once in history, where the human being born was born into relationship, a perfect worshiper of God, 100% obedient, Adam and Eve. But that fell apart at the fall. And so now in recreation, the believer, the one who trusts Jesus, trusts the facts that Jesus was God and that Jesus was man and that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. They trust those facts and would entrust their life to God as master. To say, Jesus, you rule over me and I take second place. I'm going to jump in the back seat. You drive. That person now finds it possible to be recreated, to be born. So when Jesus said those words on the cross and said it is finished, he was in fact teaching us that he has finished a work that ensures the believer's recreation, the fact that we can be born again, was the work that he accomplished on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which some of you are probably quoting in your mind, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not anyone, if anyone is in Christ, qualification, he is a new creation. The work is done. It is finished. The old has passed away. Behold, trumpet sound, the new has come for the believer. And this needs to be part of our contemplation as we rest on our Sabbath. Our rest, the big R-E-S-T of our life, the sole rest that we desperately need to survive, our rest is founded on this fact that sin is lifted. Is that a blessing? It was a blessing to me to read Genesis 2 and then see the language that is used by Jesus and make the connection to the gospel and then this application to remember to rest and find your rest in the right place going forward. For now, faith equals rest. But for the future, listen to this verse as the worship team come forward. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Now, our faith equals rest. But for the future, Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Folks, this labor and this heavy laden and this burden that is life in a sinful world, will be lifted. 
And that is what we have to look forward to in the future. For now, we live and we rest by faith. So I've chosen a song that includes the theme of rest. I'd like you to sing and let's make that our anthem as we close our service today. make this your prayer today might be some time in the song that you might need to confess 